Any any prayer requests tonight? I got a Thanksgiving. Good. Yeah. Just what is it, Mikey West? <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're asking? You bathe tonight. That's exactly what we're asking. I made my numbers at, at work, so I'm excited. Good. Good. It's like April 8th. And then it was five, and I needed fourteen, and somebody came in and did it and took care of it. Good. How about that? Good. The car dealer we were at today had his. He was a new guy. Had his first sale just before we came in, and I, I hoped we would be the second. <laughs> It, it looked like it was going to be a clean deal, and then there was a confusion that absolutely threw off the price, and I don't want to go there. It just oh, drove me nuts. Yeah, anyway. Anybody else? Anybody else? I told Bob on the phone a week ago, because we often laugh at, at daily experiences of how ridiculous the world is. I mean, really insane. And my comment to him is, those of you who have read the Odyssey will, will appreciate it, but it, it if I were going to do the Odyssey at UD right now, I'd begin it by saying, the Odyssey is about a man learning to live in an insane world. <laughs> Those of you who have done it will know that, but, but not the way we think about it. But anyway, okay, let's, let's start. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you again, Lord, for um, the gift of our life from you, the gift of yourself in Mass, for this point in Lent. You keep asking us to look at um, judgments, failures, the prodigal son, um, the woman caught in adultery, um, the story from Daniel of Susanna raped by the elders who were both religious leaders. Um, what, you, what you make clear is we're under a law and you ask us to take the law seriously. Mercy can't just take it away but it should radically change the way we live the law. Hard thing to do. Much easier to make it a black-white, one without the other. You don't do that. Um, you call us to a cross and a mystery. Um, to take serious the law, um, to take serious the spirit of mercy. Um, ask us to resolve those um, daily. Um, that means living in mysteries, I think, better than we sometimes do. I ask a blessing on all of us to do that, to trust. Um, we put, we give so much value to our minds because we can control so much. Um, holding on to our minds while we enter mysteries, harder thing. Help us all to do that in this, um, this adventure we're on, this journey we're taking, at least now with Dante and Paul and the saints, you. Strengthen us in our efforts. Um, there's only two more weeks of Lent. Help us to bear down, um, to make greater efforts to deny ourselves, um, particularly when we want things. Help us to be careful. Stay with you. We offer thanksgiving um, for Chester's success today. 
don't let it go to his head. Um, 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 thanksgiving for uh, Madison and um, Tracy. Um, help Tracy steady herself in as she moves ahead with this young woman. Watch over the couple who are offering their lives to help her. Um, help them as you can. Um, it should be easier to help those of us who want help, generally want it. It's got to be harder for those who don't know they need it, so watch over them. Um, we offer all of these prayers in your name, Christ our Lord. Okay, what is today, Monday? Take out done. This is my grounding. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to read these poems from Dunn's. They're they're lyrics, but they're laments. They're they're heavy poems about death. We're heading towards Easter, so I'm glad to do it. Um, I'm not going to go into these in any detail. It's just not the time. We don't have the time. But I'd like you to hear the mood, the the feel of it, to experience it, because we are heading for death. It's um, it's going to become more and more sober, more and more dark. You know that in Easter week, um, the lights go out, the, all the things are covered. We're, at, we're asked, invited into death. We're asked to take it on ourselves, truly, to put away all the things that we do and enter into a death. Um, good, let's see. The Nocturnal upon St. Lucy's Day is Dunn's poem on the, that occasion at St. Lucy's Day. It's the shortest day of the year. Um, he's marking it as, as it's an occasion of a death, and he's lamenting that death. Critics say lots of things about it. Some say it's, it's just for St. Lucy's Day. Um, his, one of his patronesses was a Lucy, a countess. Um, there are allusions that some take to refer to his wife, and I think his daughter's name was Lucy. She died an early death. So it, 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 um, it's not clear... Um, what inspired this? Um, it's probably a, a, a several things gathered to get, together on a, on a religious holiday, the, um, the eve of St. Lucy's. Remember, Lucy means light, Lucia. I mean, we got this from Dante. We know that, how important she is in the Divine Comedy. So I'm not going to go into it. What I'm going to do is read it. Um, I, I just point out this one thing. Um, because I happened to refer this into the, the writing I was doing. Um, think about the way in which Dunn begins to look at himself from his experience of death, the, the loss of a beloved. That when he loses his beloved, it puts him in a position almost outside of nothingness. That The devastation is so complete. For, for those of us who suffered the loss of loved ones, we, we know how great that can be, particularly if it's a loved one, because a loved one is an Aristotle, a loved one is another self. To lose that self is like losing ourselves. So the period of mourning can be devastating. You know in the church we're asked to come out of it. We're not meant to be there. 
we're supposed to move on. But that period of mourning is a, is a period in which we actually enter into the death of another and in some sense die ourselves. So watch his language because he makes it clear that he's almost been re-begot, re-begot no, begotten, begotten, not made, you know, the, 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 the ramifications of that, the illusions of it, um, re-begot of nothing. When he makes comparisons to subhuman things, plants and things, he makes it clear that he's less than they are. Because as a human being, he's conscious. Plants aren't, animals aren't. So what he enters into here is um, a real darkness, a spiritual darkness. Okay? John Dunn, Nocturnal Upon Lucy's Day, being the shortest day. <coughs> Tis the year's midnight, and it is the day's. Lucy's, who scarce seven hours herself unmasked, the sun is spent, and now his flasks send forth light squibs, no constant rays. It's evening, the sun's going out. The world's whole sap is sunk, the general balm, the hydropic earth has drunk, whither as to the bed's feet life is shrunk. Dead and interred, Yet all these seem to laugh compared with me, who am their epitaph. Study me then, you who shall lovers be at the next world, that is, at the next spring. For I am every dead thing in whom love wrought new alchemy. For his art did express a quintessence even from nothingness, from dull privations and lean emptiness. He ruined me, and I am rebegot of absence, darkness, death, things which are not. All others from all things draw all that's good, life, soul, form, spirit, whence they being have. I, by love's limbic, am the grave of all that's nothing. Off a flood have we two wept, and so drowned the whole world, us two. Off we did grow to be two chaoses, when we did show care to aught else, and often absences withdrew our souls and made us carcasses. But I am by her death, which word wrongs her, of the first nothing the elixir grown. Were I a man, that I were one I needs must know, I should prefer if I were any beast, some end, some means, beast, plants have means and ends, all, all some properties invest. If I an ordinary nothing were, as a shadow, a light, a body must be here, but I am none. Nor will my son renew. You lovers for whose sake the lesser son at this time to the goat is run to fetch new lust and give it you. Enjoy your summer, all. Since she enjoys her long's night festival, let me prepare towards her and let me call this hour her vigil and her eve, since this both the years and the days deep midnight is. Next week we'll do um, Good Friday, 1613, Writing Westward. It's another, it'll be a, a, um, a lament, it's a lyric on, on death again. Okay, okay.
quick review. Can you go back to opening of the Paradiso? I want to go back to where we left off because we left off pretty quickly last last week. In Canto Four, you recall. Dante was greeted, welcomed by Picarda. We know that Dante has entered the heaven, and it, 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 it is absolutely, it, it's absolutely crucial to see this. I've been probably beating you over the head with it, but it's important that as we move into the, into the heavens, we understand that we're, we're being asked to slowly, gradually move out, move outside of the categories with, with which we see things, time, space, one and one is two. If we stay in those categories and read this thing literally, we will not see what's going on, we'll not experience it. What's going on when Dante enters the heaven involves what he calls a transhumanization. He's moving faster than the speed of light. That's almost beyond comprehension, yeah? Um, he's here and there. He's much closer to what the Holy Spirit... I hope that's clear to everybody. The Holy Spirit's not bound by time and space the way we are. And we know, as a matter of faith, that he can be on one side of the world and on the other side simultaneously. Our, our categories of time and space don't allow that. How can he be there and there? You know, because we think in physical terms. We're being asked to transcend that. And if we don't, we're missing... What, what Dante's trying to help us see about the nature of heaven itself, okay? So, Picarda came to greet him. What she illustrates is what Dante is going to experience at every level as he goes up the heavens. Everybody's with God. She's not less happy or, or farther away. She is perfect in her love, one with God, as she is with everybody else. So the fact that her lights might be less bright than those in the sun, say, isn't a sign that she's inferior. They're all perfectly happy. Wait, wait, wait. All perfectly happy. Um, and um, sh it's important to begin to put this together because at each point we're going to be seeing something similar to what happened in the Purgatory and the Inferno. There's going to be a contrapasso, except it's not going to be against the sin contrapasso against the sin. In the same way that at every level in the Inferno and the Purgatorio, we, we saw um, that the atmosphere of each canto, right, each level in hell and in Purgatory, was an image of a spiritual condition. That's absolutely crucial to see. In the level of the lustful, remember Francisco and Paolo were being buffeted around by winds. That was an exact that, that's so, think about what Dante's doing. He's saying, you can't escape yourself. If you're in lust, it's not like it's something in here and what's out there different. Your world is defined by lust. That's something you carry in you that's going to affect the way you relate to your world. Is everybody clear? Thank you. Good. Ask, do you have, you have a question? Okay. Is everybody clear? Um, that's your world. That defines your world. And we've seen that the contrapasso is an atmosphere. It's external. All it shows is they're one with what they've chosen. That's what they wanted. That's what they got eternally. In the purgatory, that's changing. 
you know that there's a contrapasso, certain conditions in each, the, the proud are carrying boulders, the envious eyes are shut. They're experiencing their sin, but it's being purged, stripped away, okay? And they're learning to see differently, and their hearts are changing. And what we see is, as they move up purgatory, they're beginning to relate to their world differently, and they're experiencing a wholeness in themselves, one with the world. Okay? And that gets better and better and better until they get to the top when, when Virgil can say to Dante, I crown and mitre you. Okay? Now, it's crucial to see that condition, that contrapasso, the relationship between a person and the world outside of him, is not changing. Picard comes to him to show Dante um, the condition of her blessedness. He enters the moon. Remember, it's described as a pearl. So even what we learn as we listen to her, she was deficient in fortitude. But what we're seeing is no longer a sin being purged. It's a condition of a virtue, the pearliness of the moon, the beauty of Picarda. Okay? She's one with the condition. She's blessed. So um, the light that Dante experiences there will not be as bright as the light that he experiences when he gets to the sun. Okay? But she is perfectly happy. The, the point I want to underscore here is what we experienced in the Inferno and the Purgatory is continuing here. What we're seeing is who we are in sin, doing penance, in a state of forgiveness, is not just an inward state. We're one with the world outside. You, we cannot separate them. If, if I could make this clear for a second, imagine a person who's so overcome with lust and take a so sexually under the control of a lust. I mean, I'm asking everybody to maybe imagine something you can't because that may not be your particular sin, but imagine that person relating to the world. I mean, is there any way, if he were an addict or an alcoholic or a drug addict, is there any way that condition would not affect color the way he experiences everything going on around him? It absolutely would. So when we talked about the peripety, the shift from hell to purgatory, and now from purgatory to heaven, what, what we're experiencing is entering into a condition of blessedness that affects everything that's going on. Don, wait, Dante's, hold on, Dante's moving faster than the speed of light. He is here and there immediately, okay? He's not only experiencing, I mean, he's transhumanized, so he's here and there, but he's also entering into a condition of blessedness in everything around him. So he's becoming more one with things. The world is enlarging. Remember I talked about how Christ is all of this? It's like a person coming from outside of a cave into the light and gradually becoming one with it so that he, he partakes of that lightness in himself, inside of him, but he's becoming more one with that condition of light, brilliance, glory, outside of him. So he, he's still an individual, but he's entered into a much larger, richer world. The last thing you could, the last word that you could use to describe this is static. I mean, heaven couldn't be farther away. So at, at this point, anyway, I just want everybody to remember that this idea of the contrapasso, 
against the sin, the inferno, the purgatorio, that idea is still with us because every planet has its own color, its own jewel, its own condition of um, beauty and radiance, light. And so when we picture, when we're experiencing this, we have to, we have to remember, hold on to this fact that we're entering into a richer and richer dimension as we go along. It's like somebody gradually getting used to the light. Except the light isn't just light itself, it's making everything a light show. I mean, everything is exploding with color and beauty and radiance. So each, that's why each planet is likened to a certain jewel, you know, or a certain color. But let me stop for... Chester, you had a question. Yeah, yeah I got several things. But generally speaking, yeah. and then specifically, <clears throat> And there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't fit together for me for this whole deal. And at the whole time, I'm trying to puzzle it yes. in. Yeah. Okay. I get the idea he's writing this book. He's not happy. <laughs> he's not happy with the way things are going. To me, that's... This is a, why did he even write this book? And then, what was his beef with the society and culture and what's been going on in Florence and what's been happening to the church? He's not happy about it. And he categorizes all the stuff that's going to happen in hell or his version of right. uh, there's levels of, right. hey, some people aren't great, but they're not as bad as this guy. Okay, so he categorizes that. Then he categorizes the working your way up to heaven. And then once you get to heaven, you still gotta you still gotta keep I don't know. What's the point of him? Alright, one thing is Yes. Obviously his technique is this categorization and leveling of something. I mean he sat down and decided, I'm gonna write this story and the way I'm going to tell it is by breaking it into all these categories. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I just, I don't necessarily agree with anything that he says per se. <clears throat> I'm not saying I don't agree, but I... Remember, it's a story. It's right, it's a story. It's not canon. Yes, you, yes. Right, and that's, that's what I have y'all... Get, get off your box just for five minutes. <laughs> so, um... Do you have a question here? Well, one of them is just about literary <coughs> technique. I'm not interested in, well, I'm not, I'm not interested, but how do you... That, that's an issue that, you know, he's got his own opinions on what he thinks Christianity is and Catholicism mm -hmm. and what hell's like and her, okay, that's his own thing. Yes. And we're reading it and we're interpreting what he says. Now, I get the idea of you and I are going to sit around and we're going to talk about, hey, did you ever think about what heaven would be like? And then you're going to tell me, I think it's going to be this, this, and this, and I can tell you that I think it's going to be this, this, and this. So I can see a value of reading this story and finding out what was this guys thinking on 
how that would work. But I also think at the same time, it was it's not just a religious book in terms of that he wanted to put out a book to educate everybody <coughs> on what he thought the levels of hell were going to be. I think that it's really a commentary about <coughs> the society and the culture, the religion of the day, and this is his way of voicing what he thinks is right or wrong and putting it into a story instead of getting out there and saying, this guy did it wrong, this guy done wrong, and, and, and you know, well, like walking around with a sign in front of City Hall. He's writing this book. Um, so there's like a literary component of what was his intention of trying to get all this out. It wasn't to benefit me 5,000 years later about what heaven is and heaven wasn't. Then my next thing is, it's a literary structure that he does, and you talked about the way that he does it, the three lines, and he's got everything broken into threes, and he's got to categorize everything. I mean, what do you think was his motivation, or what do you think is, was the purpose of him having to be so categorizing? <coughs> and then just the whole thing. You know, I don't know. Now, once you get into no, heaven, Mark, I'm, I'm I want you to, kind of... No, leave. yeah, but I want you to leave, because I've got to make this yeah. short, because we've got to class your But, shirt. I mean, but that's the... During right. this whole thing, I'm trying to marry the literature thing, what his intentions were, and then on top of that, trying to read into it, okay, what do I take from this as a modern-day Catholic guy? Just wait, I want you to... So that's... <laughs> Here, let me so that's kind of... And we just kind of been going on and going on, and you've been kind of telling us, well, it's this, and it's this, and it's this. Which, I haven't read this whole thing before, so I'm very you happy to it. learn. But I'm, I'm reading it. But good, I mean, good. You know. Yes. Let me try briefly. I've got, first of all, let's have dinner. For Hold on. Let's have dinner. Because what you're, what you're talking about. Here, I hope you hear it. Let's have dinner, because what you're talking about requires a much longer conversation than we have time here. But... To in, is, is, I hope everybody will pardon me in as brief a time as I can to yeah. try to answer your questions. A couple of things, um, really important. P part of the question you're asking will be answered later. Okay. Because the middle of the Paradiso is going to deal with this directly. Now, you may not agree with it, okay, okay but we're going to get there. So, yeah. And I'm going to leave that okay. because the book will answer it. Two, um, I, hope everybody, I hope everybody here understands what I'm trying to do in presenting this is not give my opinion. That would bother me a lot if it came down to that. What I'm trying to do is present Dante as he presents himself. It's as if, here's a reading. Now, in your own words, say what it means. Because if I said it means A, and A doesn't even come close to explaining what's there, I'd say who's ever making A needs to do some things with himself. My task here, the, the, the works that we've chosen had a specific person, or, you know, purpose, or Dante and Milton were Catholic and Protestant. Right. My concern was to look at them, to, to do something of the historical background so that people would become right. somewhat familiar, but also to see if there were deeper implications about those works that could throw a light on our faith. That was my task. Right. So when I, when I present this stuff, I'm not presenting my reading last <laughs> Mark, stop. Please stop. Um, you're serious. I'm taking it seriously. We've got stuff to do and I have to get back to it. Um, 
Um, what, I, what I'm offering is, is the best that I can do. In the last couple of weeks, when I expressed my amazement, yeah. you know, all I can say is that was a personal response on my part, but it was a response to something that I believe is amazing in Dante, or I wouldn't have done it. You know, I, I know teachers, I mean, I give, uh, this is a teacher at, at UD. I know a teacher at UD that says, people in hell can get out anytime they want if they choose to. That's so absolutely contrary to everything Dante's showing us. That's not true. That per, he's, a, he's a PhD. That person's not reading well. He, he, that is, he's bringing a subjective belief of his own and imposing it on the text. I don't know, I hope you guys, I hope I've been doing my job here because everything I've been doing is try to be as faithful as I could. You know for me personally, I try to stay away from being catechetical as much as I can. Because my concern is, open this up because the teachings in these texts are enough. They'll do it themselves. So Dante's, so that's another. The other is, um, it's not just a story. And hold on now, just hold on everybody, just wait. Cause, and I, I don't want to pick this up with you, I want to try to answer and go on because we've got stuff. Yeah, I understand. My honest, my honest desire is an evening with the two of us, the yes. four of us, a night, okay. our house, yours, doesn't matter, sit down, but not here. Yeah. Um, that, um, the Bible is full of stories. And, and I've, I've tried to be really clear about this. This is not a matter of revelation. I've been clear from the beginning because in my first opening talks, those of you who were with me then, I set out a difference between what I'm calling, I don't even know what to call it, it's inspired poets who are working on the earthly side of Revelation. The books of Revelation are, are the expressions of people through whom God is speaking directly. What we're getting is from Him, through these prophets. You People may quarrel with that, I don't. A lot of those works are stories. Christ himself taught through stories. So, um, so one of the difficulties lots of people in the literature field will say, get out of here, are you kidding? These are just stories. I have quarrels with that that I, I thought I'd been clear about. I'm going to try to say a word on it here. A large part of the learning that we experience in our lives is through stories. I love fairy tales. When our kids are over, I tell fairy tales. I mean, it's a big part of my life. I love them so much. Stories help us to see who we are. We go th I believe we go through the world blind a large part of the time. Go to a good movie. My own experience is when, you, when you've been overwhelmed by a movie, it's because you've learned to see something and feel something you didn't before, and you come out. I come out. They're rare. So, so disgust me. What's good. It's so rare that when I come out, I'm not kidding. Suzanne will back this up. I'll say, that was a grace. Thank God. I wish there were more of those things. That's so rare. Mm -hmm. Stories have a power to help us see things and feel things that I believe are really important for us, or I wouldn't be doing this. So stories are, um, are helpful. Lots of the Bible is composed of stories. If you look at the early books of the Bible, what, 50% or more, or no, probably 90% of them are structured Deuteronomy. Numbers, kings, they're all narratives. Every one of them is a narrative telling a story. Um, and we believe them be because they're, they're stories that are based on actual events. 
And through those events, God is trying to teach us something. They're all narratives, almost to a point. Moses was telling stories. All the prophets um, are, are giving us a historical account of something that happened, this happened, this. they're all stories. None of them, not a one, not a one, is offering an exposition of an event. John gets close in his gospel, he's the, he's the closest to a theological mind, the way he presents stories. You see the, a philosophic mind reading in a story in, the, in John's gospel. All the others, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Old Testament, they're all stories. Every single one of them is a story because they're rooted in our human experience. They're all trying to show God's presence working in our lives. So um, that's behind us. Now with respect to Dante's story, I've already suggested, and we're going to get to it shortly. You may disagree with it, but you know, that's, I mean, you're going to have to see. I'm, and I'm not going to give that away. We are going to get the reason for all of this earlier, but I can say before we even get there, Dante had an experience, just like Ishmael, Melville, um, Moses. Let's just take Moses. Any one of those people had experiences, and they're offering us a story. Now, for me, as an older man, a kid who doesn't just pass stuff, the serious question, why I hate so, so many movies coming out of Hollywood. I absolutely hate them. Um, Hollywood can pour million, million, God, millions of dollars into something stupid, and, and half the world is taken up with it. Not me. Most of that stuff I hate. But when I experience a, a good story, I feel gladdened. Dante's writing a story about something that presumably happened. Um, we're going to have to look at this later in the middle of the Paradiso. It's going to come up. Um, but we know from the beginning that he's being invited into another world following Paul. Paul himself went into it, and Paul makes the distinction categories himself. I went into the third heaven, not fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, third. Um, so implicitly, there are differences between. That's fundamental to God's creation. The very nature of God's creation is categorical. Animals, subrational, plant, human, angels. Um, the theologians themselves say that one of the signs of God's perfection are these categories, that there's this great differentiation. Some people, some people approach it by saying, we're no different from animals. They'll do away with those categories. We don't, or at least I don't. I think there's a fundamental difference. Even though we're in the same category, we have something animals don't. If we don't make those distinctions, if we don't see categories, I think we're in trouble. So Dante's writing the story and he's making these categories a part of the story because he wants us to learn to see the differences between things because so often we can confuse them. We'll make something something that it's not. That's why we took such pains. The, the contrapasso at the level of lustful is not the same as it is for the gluttonous. For reasons that I just gave, he is not being arbitrary. He's revealing our nature to us we can see, so that we can see more clearly because a fundamental tenet of our faith is seeing God, seeing things, because if we see them, we're, if we don't see something, we can't change our lives. That's the fundamental principle here. But with respect to the story itself, to go to your, you know, I think one of your more troubling questions is this. He's not just telling us a story, and it's not just his opinion, just not. Um, everything that he renders, everything that he presents to us, is, 
is based on St. Thomas and his understanding of the church. Thomas is the, is the central, is at the center of the intellectual life of the church. That's, wait, and by the way, it's St. Augustine, it's all the church fathers, it's not just Thomas, but if you read, if you read the tradition, you're going to see Thomas bringing the whole tradition in himself, so it's not Thomas, it's hundreds of philosophers. Dante's doing the same. St. Augustine's in this book, St. Thomas is in it, Boethius, they're all, all the reading that he did informs him. So the picture that he's giving us is revealing what, what the best truths of the church has given him. So for instance, if I, in fact, I'm gonna do this, I just saw the movie Unplanned a few, a few, a few days ago. And I'm gonna write a piece about it. I hope that piece, I mean, I think some people are gonna be troubled by it, but I wouldn't write that piece unless I thought I was trying to speak for the center of our church. I wouldn't bother. What we write, is an hopefully, is an expression of our deepest beliefs, our convictions. Dante's doing the same thing. What's at the heart of his work is the entire church tradition. So he's not just, this is not arbitrary, it's not a subjective, it's his opinion. He's not doing that. He's, he's trying to embody this. And he's also, as you all know, placing it in the epic tradition so that it's a part of the naturalist, naturalistic work going forward. So, um, for me, I don't want to just dismiss this as literature or Dante's opinion or, because to do that, I think, would, would take away something of extraordinary value for us as a support for our faith. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be doing this. Now, I know that this is quick. I'll, I'll give you 60 seconds, but no more because we've got to go on. I, I know that's rushed and I'm sorry for that. I want to get back. but. I, I take seriously what you're asking. My, my own personal belief is this is so much deeper. I would be glad to spend an evening to go over this. And, and by the way, if that happened, I'd be glad if more of us were involved so that we could do it together. But not now, because I've got to, I've got to hold myself to this to get on. Because I'm not sure if everybody's going to have different questions. Or, or some people may have different questions for your own. And this is just not the time. So. I have a question about paradise. Is, is this supposed to be an up or is it a lateral move? Through Both. Both. Only, only in this sense. <laughs> only. No, because it, you've been climbing right. all the way through. Right, right, right. <coughs> Remember, God, this is stuff. You guys are so good. I mean, those are just good questions. Yours are, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked them. Remember from what I said last week. Um, something amazing is happening. Linearly, in, in, in sequence, we're asked to see that this is a climb, exactly as you put it. So, and the, the only, I mean, the best way to answer it, it's not either or, right. it's more and, both and. Because I, I've been, I tried to be clear, this is an ascent. That's why I spent so much time on the peripatia last week, because I wanted everybody to see a turn was taking place. We, I, I mean, I was overwhelmed with it myself. That's why I said to you, I'd have to stop, because this is amazing to me. Dante's entering a world, it's, it's closer to God the Father is not less than or We are entering a dimension in which our categories, the categories of time and space that we used to understand things, don't apply. And under the, under the shadow of the moon, the first planets that we're going to, we, we know from, from Dante, 
that we're in a world still bound by our senses, even though Beatrice is showing us supernatural things. Once we pass this point, we're entering into the world of the mystic where our senses are going to be less helpful, even though she's got to explain things in a way that we can understand as readers. But we're entering a world that is be almost getting beyond what reason can do with our senses. And I've already made that clear. Once we left Virgil, we're entering into a world in which that kind of reason can't help anymore. So here's the problem. On one level, it's a story like countless other stories, and we read it like that. Peter and the Wolf, Greg the Beanstalk, you know, Dorothy, and the, you know, the witch. I mean, whatever. We're in a story. It's got a plot. But the amazing thing is that the way that Dante's done it is breaking that ground. He's starting in our natural condition because that's what it means to be human. These are our experiences. But he's also taking us into a world um, that makes us aware while, we're, while we still hold on to our humanity, we're entering into a world that only the mystics and the saints have seen. Um, so it's both. We're, but the way, of, I mean, the way of thinking about it is, it's like somebody who's been in a cave, remember Plato's cave? Yeah. Coming into the sunlight. When you go into the sunlight, are your eyes wide open immediately? When you enter the world of the mystic and you're looking at things you've never understood before, do you see them immediately? No. We are moving into a world. Now, is it egalitarian in the way that the modern mind looks at equality? Absolutely not, because that's a flattening, inhuman world. We are not equal, none of us, every one of us is different. Dante made that clear in the beginning. I hope there's no, put two basketball players next to each other and tell them that they're the same, watch them beat their brains out to show who's best. You know, we're not. Um, they're, they're all equally happy, but the nature of their happiness is richer or less according to what they did, the grace they received, harder things. So they're all equally with God. But what Dante's showing are degrees of differences here, just as there were in hell and in purgatory and in our <laughs> lives. I, I, I mean, I, I just, we're hitting in such delicate, let me put it this way if I can. There's not a question in my mind, my mind, that St. Thomas had a much nobler soul, a purer soul, than I do. And I don't have any question that when Thomas went to confession, he said, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. It's on that ground that Thomas and I stay together. But there's not a question in my mind that he saw infinitely beyond what I see. And I know that there are people like that. Um, so, does it mean any of us will be less present in heaven? Absolutely not. But the, the plot line is linear because Dante's entering into a condition that we can only enter into slowly. Is that the way it's going to happen in the next life? I can't tell you. It may happen like that. I don't know. But Dante has to, if Dante's passing on some truths, I believe he is, He's got to do it in a way that relates to our own condition or we won't get it. If, we were, if I were to talk to a mystic about his experience and he said, I had it, would I see anything of what he experienced? Absolutely not. And, and by the way, which mystic could do that? It's rare. St. John of the Cross, you know, I mean, some of them have tried. Um, 
Dante is working within an epic tradition, but he is shattering that epic tradition. He is showing us things about Christian mysteries that the pagan could have had no clue about because they didn't know Christ. And the danger is you can reduce Christ to a, the Arians, the Sabbath, you know, he's all God or he's all man, my Lord and Savior. It's just, I tried to shatter that last week. He's the Logos. He, he's in everything. Do we even begin to, to hold on to that when we think about going to that, sorry, going to that man, God, that that's who we'll see. What Dante's doing is enlarging our appreciation so that we're getting ready for that and we're carrying it into our life here. I think we all know we can go through the motions of our faith. I think we all know what that means and the dangers for us. Dante's exploding that. Anyway, if you're okay, dinner a night. Can I ask a simple Yeah. I'm afraid to ask after this. lady, the one who's had the fortitude issue where mm-hmm. she was happy, does she stay there in that level or does she progress? No, she, what she even says, we did this, she says, I've only come here to show you. She's with God. They're all with, they're, here, when we get to the end, it's going to be the Imperium. All the souls will be there. Um, let me put this even to try to find. At the wedding feast of Cana, you know, when Mary <coughs> came out and said they have no wine, Mary was being absolutely gracious. Her care was not for herself, her care was for her guest. Yeah. If Christ, I mean, that poem of um, Herbert's that I read, Love, Sit Down and Eat, and I'm going to break up here. <laughs> when. Um, when Herbert says, I'm not worthy, Christ says, sit down and eat. I will serve, you know. Um, I take that to be the center of heaven. Are all of us ready for it? Are we all prepared? Are we doing what we can to get closer? If that's the light and we're coming out of a cave, will it just hit us straight on? If, if Christ is being hospitable to our nature, if he's working with what we have, I mean, you, I know you know church fathers who will hit you over the head and say you're damned. You know, um, Christ is taking us where Dante, sorry, is taking us where we are, helping us to move along, because there's lots we don't see. The whole Divine Comedy. Why did Pope Francis, Pope Francis, ask the whole Catholic Church to read this book? Why? As a nice story? It's so far beyond that. There is, and I, I love literature. You guys know nobody has ever come close to doing what Dante's doing. You didn't answer David's question. Well, I did. That everybody is with God. There's no. It's not a. They're all there. So she. she wait. Oh, sorry. She's being hospitable in the sense that she's greeting Dante to help prepare him to go on because out of the sunlight, or I mean, out of the cave. They're, in the, they're entering, that's where I'm going. They're entering into a greater and deeper light as, with each step. So the categorization is for him, but for them, they're all one with God. So there's yes. no categorization really for them. It's for him, because he couldn't take it all at one time. Right, that's a good way of putting so, so it. Is it. Are they all one with God within their own capacity to understand? To understand and to love. I don't want to, don't ever separate the mind from the will here, the heart, because they never should be. 
Um, it's a fundamental principle of St. Thomas is, is that the leading principle for us is seeing. Because how do we change ourselves if we don't see? Dante's words, I came here to cure my blindness. Why are we all here together? Um, I didn't see this 20 years ago. Um, I, I know, I know from my own personal life, I, 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 can't have any, I don't have any doubts about it, you're right. We can't make the changes that we should. Sometimes the best friends are our worst enemies because they don't say to us the things that we should say, should be said to us. Prophets are the ones who do that. Somebody says something nice to us, what the first thing is, get away. We, we can't make the changes that we should make in ourselves if we don't see. The prophets, why are they there? The fundamental purpose of the prophets was to ask the chosen people to see things they didn't want to see. Why? Because if they saw them, they had a chance to repent. Dante's making clear distinctions to help us because it's so easy to collate, collapse. Fundamental Thomistic principle. This is St. Thomas. Divide so that you can reconcile. How can you reconcile when you don't even know what the differences are? We've got to learn to see distinctions. Because if we don't, that tendency of the mind is blur it. You know. There's only one heaven. There's only one imperium. They're all together. They're all unified in God. What's happening is the souls are coming. This is why, this is why I went back to this notion of the contrapasso. Because each level, here's where I was going. This is my opening comments going forward. Um, it's like the contrapasso. What was a deficiency on earth in fortitude, we can't ignore that, is now a virtue, a beauty. It's like a pearl. There's nothing that goes on in that, le that level that doesn't show a radiance and a beauty in its degree. So what we're, what we're entering into are these beauties, these, the contrapasso. The, remember what I said? The, the, uh, it's, it's in our nature. If, if you're overcome by lust or avarice, it colors the way you see the world. Will you see it and put it differently? Will you see the world in purity? Absolutely not. Why is the church asking us to do penance? Because it knows it's only as we do penance that we get better that we see better. And if we see better, we love better. Otherwise, why is it mean? So, I'm grateful for your questions. I hope... We'll pick it up later. Yeah. Well, in Dante's time, they didn't have any sort of separation of the church. That creates a whole other discussion. When I was, no, Would I'm you stop? Say one thing. <laughs> no, you won't. Yes, I will. The rest of the day. No, listen. No, okay. Uh, we explain it as there is a dwelling place provided for you. So if you're Protestant, if you're Catholic, if you're something in between, and you have made the progression to heaven, then it will be a dwelling place. That's how it was kind of defined after the Reformation, if you want to know. <laughs> Let me go ahead, just quick. One, one of my cousins, one of my cousins, after our conversion, told this joke about 
somebody going into heaven and they had all these rooms. So it was the Methodists here and, and somebody, I think, taking somebody and said, don't, I don't remember the joke yeah, that he's going to Methodists here. Be, yeah. Because, wait, 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 because I've got to get on. It, it's this notion that we're, our fates are going to separate us. There's no way in which heaven is going to have any of these separations at all. At all. Because, in, in, because the whole purpose of Christ by taking on a nature was to unify everybody. Whatever differences we had in this world, it may end up reflecting like it does in Picarda, in the likeness of her, but not in any sense in which people will be separated at all. Because the very nature of, because the very nature of, of love is unitive. In heaven, all people will be together, I, united I, I, I in Christ. I never mentioned separation. I said there's a dwelling place for you. I'm, but I'm, <laughs> I never said separation. I just want to be clear in case there's a confusion here, okay? Okay. Holy cow. Oh, you sure you want to come over? <laughs> you better right. Do you have any Do you have any idea who you're talking to, Chester, with that question? You obviously don't. But you know, I would tell you that I Wait, think we're gonna eat, we're gonna come together, and Gita's gonna cook. <laughs> I think it's no coincidence that the fifteen of us are in this room tonight hearing what we're hearing. I think there was a reason why we're here to hear what we're hearing. Okay. Uh, who's the ref? Sorry? Who's the referee in this whole I am. Thing? We're starting. <laughs> God. Oh, God. Who's recorded? Oh, BS. We're not starting. We're Can we come Be The two of you, be still. Canto four. Picarda comes to Dante and... Um, by the way, blessings on you all. Blessings. I'm not kidding. I just um, keep these good hearts of yours going. And, and don't stop being fighters, whatever else you do. Um, Picarda comes to him and tells him of her experiences with Constance and their failure to hold vows. And, and she, make, she puts them into categories. She makes a distinction between what she calls the condition will and the absolute will. In a conditioned will, you, you can lose part of your will when you concede to the world. So if a woman was forced out of a, a convent, that she, because remember, what's at issue here, they made their vows to God. They, they, they were brides, as, as brides to their spouse. They vowed fidelity on their life. It wasn't conditioned, it didn't say, if things go well, or when, when you make a vow, it's a vow. She makes this distinction because it's important to see that in one case, both of them were forced. Okay, so there's no question. Both of them were forced. But in the one case, Picarda gave her will too willingly. In the other, she makes it clear that Constance, even though she was forced to do something, in her will inside, she never gave in, even if she was forced to do something. In order to save her life, she had to do it, but her will was unwavering. So he's, what Dante's doing is trying to show, and he's done this, remember with Stasius in the, in the Purgatorio, he's trying to show the importance of our free will and what we do with our wills, the vows we make. As a matter of fact, at the end, page 417, let no man take his vow too lightly, keep your word, but do not make a blind rash oath as Jephthah did. Because remember, he said, this is from, this is from a story, <coughs> underline that, in the Bible. He says, on, he makes his vow, he makes a vow and says, at, at, the, at the cost of the, of, the, of the death of the person coming in through the door. Who comes in through the door? 
his daughter. And we're reminded from this, those of you who know the Iliad, remember, Agamemnon made that vow and it cost him his daughter. That was the beginning of the Trojan War. So Dante's not being a slouch here. He understands our weaknesses. He's, he's saying, when we make a vow, when we commit ourselves to it, it's really important that we keep it because it hurts us when we don't. On, on the next page, where, where he picks that up, on page 416, what, what compensation can you offer then? Can you use well what's no longer yours? If you've given your will to God, what else do you have to give him? So the consequences of that kind of vow are serious. What Dante says is, if you do break a vow, make sure that you're able to compensate it far greater than for the thing itself, or you won't be answering the vow. If you say you're going to do something for $20 and you break your vow, you give $40 back. You have to answer that weakness in your will. If we, I'm trusting, all of us, all, we wouldn't be in a fallen condition. We all have weaknesses in our wills. Dante's saying when we give our vows, we've got to learn to hold to them. And if we don't, we have to give something to make it up or we won't be correcting our will. What was purgatory about? Correcting our human will. Now, just quickly, um, remember he, he meets, I wish we had time for this, but um, we don't. In Canto 6, this is a beautiful chapter and, and we can read over it. On 422, it's Dante's description of God's justice working in the world. And let me just try to put this as simply as I can. Dante knows that, that nothing goes on in the world that God doesn't allow. Okay? And that means he allows evil. It's one of the fundamental things we wrestle in our lives. He allows evil. As far as I can tell, this is me, and not Dante. I'm offering the best I can on this. He does it for two reasons. One, he does it to protect our free will, because if he didn't, he'd take away the very greatest thing he gave us, that freedom. Even, even when we can harm ourselves by the way we use it. I think the second reason he does it is because by letting things go, we learn to see the consequences, how, how often the consequences that follow from our choices are much graver than we know at the time. So he's, he, this is me as a person. You can take it or leave it. Um, he allows it because it helps us appreciate the gravity of our choices. Because sometimes we make choices thinking we see the consequences. I'm sure all of us have had these things, thinking we know the consequences. When in time we discover the consequences are far graver than we ever knew. Um, so our, the freedom of our will is not a small thing. I think the reason that God allows it the way it does is for the reason I get. But also for this, because given his infinite character, he's in a position to be able to permit sin to allow evil, but he's great enough to bring good out of it in ways we can't. So when Dante goes through this chapter on God's justice, <coughs> He's doing it with a sense that there's an overruling providence, that God is working in the world, and he follows God's eagle here, the, um, everything that led to the, um, the, um, the founding of Rome and um, what brought us finally to Christ. I wish we had time to go into it. I, I read that line in 422. 
Behold what courage consecrated it, the courage which began with that first hour when Pallas died. Remember, that was, for those of you who did the Aeneid with me, Pallas was Evander's son. He, he sacrificed his life for the cause of that war. Just above it, with this your first question is answered now, but I have answered it in such a way that I'm forced to add on something more. To make it plain to you how little cause have those who move against the sacred standard, be it the ones who claim it, the, the Ghibellines, hold on, the sacred standard is the eagle of God's justice in the world. It's God's justice working in the world. So he, he's faulting the Ghibellines because they appeal to that standard, but not for the right motives. It's like somebody saying this is God's design when they really don't know. They're, they're being presumptuous in doing that. Be it the ones who claim it or those who disdain it. Because remember, the Guelphs fought against the Ghibellines. The Ghibellines was the standard of the emperor, the ruler of the empire. So this is one more attack against the quarrels between the Guelphs and the Ghibellines and the injustices of their motives and what they do. Um, over on 425, we reach that point where he's continuing to describe God's justice working in the world that brings us to the point when Christ entered the world to answer the world's injustices. So the two are absolutely linked. 425. Now marvel at what I add to this later. It's fed with Titus, who was the emperor then, to avenge the vengeance taken for the ancient sin. Okay, we talked about that. Um, that's the destruction of Jerusalem. Why did Titus destroy it? To avenge the vengeance taken for the ancient sin. It leads Dante to ask in the next canto, um, bottom of 428, my intuition, which is never wrong, informs me that you do not understand how just vengeance can justly be avenged. Right? Um, if what the Jews did to Christ was just, otherwise it takes away the meaning of the crucifixion, um, how can they be punished for it? If it was just act, it would be an unjust act to destroy Jerusalem. So Dante's wondering how this can be, and, and you know Beatrice's answer in 429. Um, she's talking about what Christ did, and it's, it's been interesting. I, I don't know that people even think about this anymore. When, when Christ entered the world, the Pax Romana was on. The gates of war were closed. It's one of the few times in, in history when it was understood that there was a universal peace and the consensus was taken. Why consensus? Why did Christ come in then? The assumption is that he went to a cross to satisfy a matter of justice. For him to atone for the whole world, it had to apply to everybody. He came into the Roman world on the time, the, the Pax Romana was in place, um, and people were doing the consensus. They were all a part of a universal world. So that it, it enhances the sense that what Christ did was for everybody, that he answered a law that we were all under, that we were all... Um, we all should give satisfaction for it. Um, now listen to my reasoning. Once joined with its first cause, this nature was um, pure and good by itself, by its own act, having abandoned truth and the true life. Out of God's holy garden, it was chaste. Then if the crucifixion can be judged as punishment of the nature assumed, no penalty could bite with greater justice. He assumed our nature. Our nature was fallen. We're in sin. That's our condition. We live in sin. 
Um, so if you look at our nature, assumed, no, no act was ever more just. Had to be. If you undermine Christ's justice, what he did was pointless. If you look at the person who assumed that nature, no act was more unjust because he was innocent. So out of that came two different things. Thus one event produced different effects. God and the Jews both pleased by this one deed, except obviously for different reasons. God was pleased because of his son offering atonement for our sins. The Jews were pleased because they thought he was not Christ, that they were doing away with a pretender, a blasphemer. On page 431, he gives the theology behind that one event. And it's important, uh, just repeating what I said last week, this one canto, in, I, you know, you hear all the time that in school people read the Inferno, and then they, they stop there, teachers have them read. Is there anything more, it's like reading the first <coughs> act of Hamlet, and you not, yeah, you know. If, if you don't go on to read the Paradiso, you won't understand what's going on in hell. How can you? you? You won't see the difference of the choices, what's at issue. You just won't. This one canto is one of the most important in the whole work, and lots of people don't even ever get to it. So in 431, he accounts for it. Man fell, he chose to go against God. Given his limits, man could never make amends, never in his humility could man obedient too late descend. Thus it remained for God in his own ways, um, I mean in one of them or both, to bring man back to integrity. But since the deed gratifies more the doer, the more it manifests the innate goodness of the good heart from which it springs, so then that everlasting goodness which has set its imprint on the world was pleased to use all of its means. Nothing, he says, was ever before that great, nothing ever will be. Why? Because God himself fully entered into it by taking on our nature. For God who gave himself gave even more so that man might raise uh, itself again that if he had simply annulled the debt. He could have left man damned, or he could have simply forgiven him. What he did was choose the middle course um, to, bring, to bring a greater goodness out of it. So nothing up to that time was ever as good. Nothing will ever compare to it after. Now that's where we were um, when we stopped. Now, just as a, this is where I wanted to go to open, so let me return to that now. Just two thoughts I, I want to offer you guys as we move forward. One you already heard in my response to, or the attempt I made to answer Chester's question. Two things here to keep in mind. One is, um, you know from a reading that the, um, that the mode of knowing, the way of seeing in hell is irony. Yeah? The souls don't know they don't know. We do, we do. So there's a difference in categories, there's a difference in classes. We're standing outside of something to help us see it better. They are in the sin. Do they want to hear it? Do they want to see? Absolutely not. Francisca blames God. We all know this stuff. It's, it's part of our own lives. The mode of knowing is um, irony. They don't see. We do. That's the value of it because we see, we see that we don't see very well in life. I'm taking that for granted. Reading that teaches us to be more clear. We don't see very well. Very often we think we've got answers to things that don't see. We don't. So the mode of knowing, what, what 
what holds that together as we move through the plot of the Inferno is irony. It's reinforced, scene after scene after scene. And not only reinforced, but we're able to make distinctions between certain kinds of sins, that some sins are worse than others. Church acknowledges that. So we're learning to make important distinctions in degrees of irony. When we enter, leave the world of the inferno and enter the purgatorio, we enter into a world in which now sinners are committing, or who had committed the same sins that the people in the inferno did, but they're different in one major respect. They want to get better, so they're not afraid to acknowledge their sins. They repent and go forward. So the action, the action, the way of knowing of the purgatorial is wonder. They're learning to see. Can you, can you find anybody in hell with wonder? They think they all know the answers. The last, the last thing they could do in hell is ask a question. You know, they all think they know. In purgatory, that's not so. Every, every canto that, that we experience, every level that Dante goes up, it, as what, we couldn't go through them all, but some interchange between Dante and the souls is an expression of a wonder, one form or another. So the, the way of knowing is wonder. <clears throat> it goes to, I think it was David's, I'm not sure, but I think um, what we're experiencing in the purgatory is, is close to what I think Christ meant when he said, unless you're like these little ones, you know, I think what he was saying, he was not saying, be stupid like kids. He's saying, recover your innocence and your sense of wonder. Stop acting like you think you've got all the answers. Children, children live in what, why did that happen? Why did the ball come back when I threw it against the wall? Why did the plate break, you know? Why did my finger hurt when I pricked it with a needle? Um, children are full of wonder and... Um, in purgatory, remember, the, the people are recovering this lost, this lost wholeness. They're recovering the wonder that Adam and Eve must have felt, you know, awakening to paradise. So the mode of knowing in the purgatorio is wonder. What's the mode of knowing in the paradiso? The mode of knowing in the paradiso is forgiveness. We're not going to meet a soul that's not living in a state of blessedness. Their sins have, and here, this is so important. Where does forgiveness come in? Once the sins have been atoned for. They're gone. So from that point on, everything that the souls experience is forgiveness. Gratitude. Gratitude, wonder. And at each level, what we're going to see as Dante moves up is that, is that sense of wonder is going to enlarge. It's going to become greater. It's like the multiplication of the fission. It's going to get greater and greater and greater and greater that there's this extraordinary thing going on in God's universe and we don't see it. So as we move forward, we're going to experience this one. When in the next couple of cantos, we're going to meet Cuniza. Here, get, I remember a couple of years ago when I first taught this and two women who were next to each other, they were coming together all the time. When I said this, they both looked at each other and blushed. Um, Cuniza says she was, she was married once, I think, or four times, and had something like six lovers. And she, she, I'm going to get to it in a few minutes. And she says, I forgive myself. I mean, we can look at that and laugh, but she's living in a state of forgiveness. She's not holding on to those sins. She's not gloomy. She's been forgiven. Um, and she's in the level of, the, of Venus, which is the level of, you know, the planet of pleasures, sexual pleasures. Um, 
So at every, at every level, like the Contrapasso, we're going to see souls who were inclined to a certain weakness that has now turned into a virtue and is luminous with light. In the moon, it was like a pearl. So it's, it's not something to look down on. They're not separate. It's, it's, a, it's a beauty of its own. And we're going to find that at each level. Um, be, because it's who we are. Carl's nature is different from Tracy's or Karen's or Gita's or any of us. You know, we're all, there's going to be something in, in that state of blessedness that will reflect that. That's our faith. That's not Dante. Um, that's straight out of Thomas. Um, and that's our church. So, um, one is, um, this great peripatia takes place. We're turned, we're moved into um, paradise. Remember, Dante's moving as fast as, faster than light. Before he knows it, when he enters the level of the sun, it will have already happened. And he'll look at it and wonder, and, and we'll get to the line, you know. It, he's here and there. So, categories of time, it's crucial that we see... Here's the last, my last introductory comment before we go into the... Here's the last thing. One of the beauties of all of this for me, I mean, it may not answer everybody, but one of the beauties of this for me is this. Um, when I, I've told our kids, when we've talked about it, I've, I've asked them, um, Jonathan is our youngest, Emily's his wife. I remember asking them once, when you pray to God, do you see... Our, our Christopher's grandchildren are going to a covenant school. When we pray at our house, they'll often go, um, I thank you, Lord, or I just, you know, it's that you can hear that. And I keep saying to the kids, don't tell God what you're doing. Speak to him directly. Say, thank if you. If you were thanking me, would you say, I thank you? You'd say, thank you. You all following me? Mm -hmm. They very often describe what they're doing. You know, instead of speaking, you all hear me? Mm -hmm. they, instead of speaking, and I, so I told Emily and John, and that's Speak to God, and more importantly for me, it's me, not Doug. More important, um, imagine Him. Don't say, I thank you, know, or talk about what you're doing. Say it as if He's right in front of you. Otherwise, why would you be praying? If you're saying thank you, if you're saying thank you, thank Him. <coughs> What's Dante doing? The great, one of the great values of this is He's helping us to imagine something because if we can imagine it, it's more real. Now, now going back to your question, does the fact that you imagine it make it so? No. That's why I hate 90% of the fiction coming out of Hollywood. The question is, does it, does it really reflect our nature? That should be a serious question. When a movie comes out that doesn't reflect our nature, I have nothing good to say about it. Because you know, one of the modern ideologies is you can, become, you can be whatever you want to be. As if we have no nature. What Dante does is absolutely faithful to our nature. The lustful, the gluttonous, you know, all of it. Um, at, at every level of purgatory. He sh the, 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 the proud, the lustful, the avarice, you name it. That's an exact description, as I understand our nature, those are exact descriptions of exactly what goes on with us when we're doing any of that. So one of the beauties of the Divine Comedy is he's imagining, but he's Remember, he's doing it in accord with our nature. This is not, he's not trying to show off. He's not just being subjective. 
He's trying to be faithful to our nature to help us understand it. So at every level, what he's showing should correspond to our nature. If not, then Dante's not, then I'd be critical, and I would assume everybody else would too. But. So the beauty of it, he's actually showing it. So last week when I said, what he's doing is amazing, you know, this transfiguration and but why isn't, he, why isn't he bringing Christ into it now? Why are we delaying? I tried to answer that because what he's going to discover at every stage of this journey is there's Christ. There he is. There he is. There he is. He's behind it. He did that. He did that. That's him. The Logos is everywhere. Will he ever know Christ for who he is to really see him as he is if he doesn't see that? That's not made up. That corresponds to our nature. If Dante were writing today, he'd be working off of Heisenberg and Bohr and all the modern physicists, Einstein and the rest. <clears throat> so part of the beauty is he's helping us to see, once again, so that we can understand ourselves. And in this case, he's helping us to see a super sensible reality. Every one of the cantos is based on sense of the moon, Venus, the sun, Mars, Jupiter, Mercury, right? They're real. He's grounding us in the real world, but he's also trying to reveal something super sensible. And as a matter of fact, you'll see that it corresponds to what the mystics have all said when they try to describe that world too. Now let me stop and risk myself here. Are there any, any questions? Brief, please. Any brief, because I, I want to get into the heavens more. Here, uh, thanks. Everything here is the knowledge that Dante and Beatrice are giving are more in keeping with what's available to our senses. We'll, we'll respond more easily. We'll identify. So when he gives the proof of the moon spots, the mirrors in that first canto when he's talking about how do we explain these spots on the moon and he gives an answer, all of that is in terms of physics. Anybody who knew physics would appreciate it. But as we go up, once we get out of the shadow of the sun, once we pass from this, this early stage and enter here, we're entering into a world that is um, closer to the world of the mystics. It's super sensible. We're, we're moving beyond the senses um, into deeper and deeper mysteries. <clears throat> but the, the beauty, what I'm, what the point that I'm trying to make here is that the beauty of it all is that Dante gives us an image of it. By the way, you may, you may be interested to hear this. The, the guy who was the discoverer of DNA, the, the group of men who worked on that and said, we, we, we were struggling, they were struggling with it for years. They didn't, make the, <laughs> they didn't make the breakthrough until they could imagine it. And once they tried to imagine it, the next step came. Think about how important the imagination is. And, the imagination can go wrong, badly wrong. Um, but it's also part of who we are. The imagination and you know how healthy it is or what we do with it um, is another thing. Any questions? Okay, here, let's... Um, in Canto 8, I'm going to do this briefly because I want to get to Cuniza. <laughs> I just love her. In Canto 8, um, 
Dante's talking with Charles Martel. He's entered the the canto, or I mean the 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 heaven of Venus, and Dante asks um, him questions about heredity because um, Mar Martel came from two very different lines, um, one line Guelph and the other um, Ghibelline, um, that were opposed to each other. And he wants to, and some of the people in those lines were awful, awful men, just really bad men. And so he wants to know how a bad seed can come out of a, you know, a, a good person. Um, so, on page 437, the good that moves and satisfies the realm that you now climb endows these mighty orbs with all the power of his own providence. Remember, there's nothing in creation God didn't make. He's everywhere present. <coughs> and in that one mind perfects in itself, there is foreseen not only every type of nature, but the proper goal for each. Thus, when this bow bends, this bow bends, the arrow shot speedily, speeds ready to a predetermined end a shaft expertly aimed to strike its mark. Were it not so, the heavens you climbed through would fashion their effects in such a way that chaos would result. God didn't do it, the heavens would fall apart. He's clearly got a purpose. I hope that's clear, right? I mean, if there wasn't an order, how in the world do these things stay together the way they do with a consistency with which they... Um, 4, 438, he once more tell me, would it be worse for man on earth were there, if there were no social order? Donnie says, of course. And then Dante says, if that's the way here, how could it be different in the heavens? There's an order to things. Do we see them? Go down, 438. For nature in its circling stamps its seal on mortal wax, perfecting her fine art, with no concern about man's lineage. And he gives examples of people. 439. Should natural disposition find itself not in accord with fortune, then it must fail as a seed in alien soil must die. What if you raise a kid who's particularly gifted, say artistically, he wants to, but you want him to be a basketball player, and you beat him over the head with that daily, you make him want to play basketball. How good will that be for that kid? I hope it's clear. The, the, so the serious question that Dante's raising is, <laughs> How can we help other people if we don't know their nature? Do all kids, our youngest son, six kids, are they all going to be the same? What kind of a parent can he be if he doesn't see that every one of those kids is different? I mean, think about the disasters that we bring on because we don't have a clear understanding of the nature of things. It's crucial to make distinctions. If men on earth were to pay greater heed to the foundation nature is laid down and build on that, they would build better men. But, but those men bent to wear the sword, you twist into priesthood. You try to make kids who would be great warriors into priests. What's the result? And you make a king out of a man whose calling was to preach. Um, it's... Dante's just putting down a fundamental principle. It's so important for us to have an understanding of our nature because if we don't, how well will we work with anything? Um, so once again, he's trying to help us clarify disorder of the world, the way the world goes wrong on this. Now, he's in the level of 
um, Venus, and um, it's, it's beautiful because the light becomes brighter on page 441. There, um, there in our part of sinful Italy, which lies between Rialto shores and where the private and the Brento River spring, rises a hill of no great height from which some years ago there plunged a flaming torch who laid waste all the countryside around. This is her brother who was a vicious, we know this from the historical records, he was just a vicious person. And it's interesting that Dante gives Cunina <coughs> afterwards because her brother was a, just a really vicious man. Both he and I were born from the same root. Cuniza was my name, and I shine here, for I was overcome by this star's light. That is, she had those inclinations which were peculiar to her to be very sensuous, to love pleasure. It's the way she was. Um, I shine here, for I was overcome by this star's light. But gladly I myself forgive in me what caused my fate. It grieves me not at all, which might seem strange indeed to earthly mind. I love that set. You know, she had, I think she had four lovers, married, I can't remember now, it's two, twice or three or four. So she was a woman clearly given to passions. She's here at this level. Is she grieving, gloomy? Absolutely not. All you can feel is that she gives off, like the contrapassos in the Inferno, she gives off a virtue that's appropriate to her nature. Here, going over. Wait, is she still in sin? No, she's, no. Already, she's already repented for it. Yes, yes. Good. Can she remember the sins as sin? Can she? Can anybody hold on to them in heaven and be no. in heaven? No. No. But you're, but you're judged for your sins. Yeah. Did anybody question that? No. I've already said. Purgatory. Oh, Mark. Purgatory, all the sins have been paid for. What happens after that when you begin, when done, enter in? <coughs> she didn't enter in heaven. Maybe she, she was in purgatory first. Yes, thank you. Do we know? No, it doesn't matter. What we know is we know that you cannot enter paradise with your sins. We are we are in heaven. We we cannot judge things the way we did on earth or do. Going over here. Um, now, her brother comes, then she was, this is 442, then she was silent, and it seemed her thoughts were drawn to something else, for she had joined the dancing wheel. Where, remember, they are so joyous. By the way, they love pleasure. Is that a sin here? No, the sinful inclinations are gone. Well, let me put it differently. Were, were her way of standing to the beatitude of heaven be the same way as it is for Thomas? She was given a pleasure. Is there anything lacking in her to keep her from being perfectly happy? No, she's happy. She's perfect in her happiness. But her inclinations were obviously different from Thomas's. Is anything taken away from her? No. Look at this. Then she was silent. She goes off dancing. She, it's a light. It's a garland of light. That other joy which she had just described as something precious now appeared to me like an exquisite ruby. We're in heaven. There's nothing that we see that doesn't give off an effulgence, a different color, a different light. Because one of the principles of God's creation was its variety, its differences. We're not all the same. And those, like the contrapassos, like each one of the heavens, we're seeing 
But there's a different glory. Um, it's like this extraordinary light color show. Her brother, Fouquet, comes to talk, and here's what I wanted to get to in this canto. God can see all, top of 443, and your sight sees in him. Now, the Italian in this is reflexive. It's in himming himself. In himming himself. Remember I talked about this indwelling? God can see all, and your sight sees in him. He's in himming himself in her. Because this indwelling is becoming, you'll get it in a minute more clearly. I said, O Holy Spirit, no thought of mine can hide itself from your true sight. Is there anything that anybody can conceal from any? No. They know their thoughts before they, because everything and everything that's experienced is, is experienced in terms of light. God's light, their own, the indwelling, the one with another. Remember, I said this before, weeks ago. One of the effects of the fall is the sense of a dissociation. Subject, I, object, you. Dante, Dante can't use language. Think about the way Faulkner uses language in Faulkner. Dante's having to find a language to describe something that our normal syntax can't get to. That's why he's got all these reflexive verbs in Italian. Here, just hold on. Your voice then, which eternally charms heaven in harmony with those adoring flames and make themselves a cow of their six wings. Why does it leave me longing unfulfilled? I would not wait for you to ask of me were I to in you as you now in me. He has to find a language that we can't find in our ordinary. So he's using these reflexive verbs to show there's this indwelling beginning to take place. It will grow as we go up the paradis. Let me put this differently. You may disagree with me, but if one of the effects of the fall is a subject object, I, you, it's not I, I, you, right? One, right? It's I, you. It's not I, I, Mary, I. Mary is an I. It's not I, I, you, subject. It's I, you. She's an object. She's another. She's another. Um, um, in, in heaven, if, if, if that's an effect of the fall, and I believe it is, we're, love is unitive. It's supposed to bring us together. Are we all perfectly together in this world? No. Um, we're not. It's one of the effects of the fall, the subject-object dichotomy. Can that dichotomy exist in heaven? No. No. Absolutely not. Are, what's the model of it? The Trinity. There are three distinct persons, distinct from each other. Any one of them lacking the others? In any way at all. How could they be one God if they did? They're all one, they're different. They're one in nature, different in persons. If that's true and we enter in and we're made in that image, how can we remain in a subject-object dichotomy? One of the things going on in Dante as he moves up to heaven, is that dichotomy is slowly, like it was in the purgatory, slowly slipping away. Is heaven static? God, I hate that. What Dante's showing us is that there's this extraordinary thing going on in heaven. Love is, does, it, does love cease to protect the individuality or separateness of a person? No, it's absolutely essential to our faith. Each person is distinct, separate from another. 
Does that, in, in the world, that keeps us apart. In heaven, each person keeps his individuality, his separateness, while becoming one with another. That's the, because in, in, Indian, in the Indian religion, in the afterlife, it's a conglomeration. Individuality is lost. It's lost. Because they, they see that as the source of sin. I want. I want. In heaven, each, each soul is made in the image of God. That distinctness has to be protected. The notions of, that's why he went through all that stuff with Stasius and Plato and to, to show that there was this unity between body and soul because so many philosophies take it away. And we, we're not even aware of it. What Dante's showing us is that Dante is still Dante, Beatrice is still Beatrice, God is still God, the Father is still the Father. The, and, but Dante, that dichotomy is fading, we, and he's becoming more and more. He's entering into a larger world. Um, so these reflexive verbs, are we don't get them much in English because it's hard to translate them. Well, there's a lot of things in foreign languages that we, yep. we don't do, but yep. they do in yep. reflexive. 445. When, um, um, 445, remember he's talking about Fulquet, who is um, um, here with Cuniza. He's describing his misdeeds, but there's no gloom, there's no sense of sin. Like the other souls there in Venus, he was given to passions. He loved pleasures. Um, 444. But we do not repent. We smile instead, not at the sin that does not come to mind, but at the power that order and provides. From here we gaze upon that art which works with effective love. We see the good by which the world below returns above. By the way, here's one of the... Think about this. Here's one of the hardest things that Dante overcame in this book. How many times do you read a book in which no bad happens. Every major writer, Shakespeare, Jane Austen, you cannot name Dostoevsky, you name it, Dickens, Conrad, Homer, Virgil. The greatest writing occurs around bad things because it sets into motion conflicts. How many writers has ever written a book in which no bad takes place? Name one. Dante's writing, what's hard about this? <laughs> Dante's writing about a situation in which no bad exists anymore. We're in a world in which sin is forgiven. It's gone. We're entering into blessedness. We're having to look at a condition of blessedness in its different, in its great variety. There's no need for repentance here. Who can repent? There's nothing to repent. It's gone. We're entering in. How, how at ease are we? In a condition, I'd say most of us are not. It's almost like we're bred for <coughs> conflicts. And Dante showing, remember Picard's uh, words: "In in his will is my will. In his will is my happiness." I'm gonna. What time is it? Doc's getting up. Eight seventeen. God. Here, one last thing, if I can. Three, four thirty-five, just quickly. Four thirty-five. 
435? I know, I, want to, I just want to pick up a couple of oh, lines okay. here. Um, they've entered the circle of Venus. This is just to give you a greater sense of the contrapasso at work here. They've entered the, the sphere of Venus. <clears throat> then one came closer and announced, remember they're all lights. What Dante's, he's, greeting, he's being greeted by these wreaths of lights. These are the souls because they're in light. Each one of them distinct. Each person's distinct. We are already here to do your pleasure. We want you to have fullest joy of us. Go down. We are so full of love that if you wish, we happily will step a while for you. Everything they do is gracious. And why? In pleasure. What's the end of their being there? Pleasure. They're not gloomy. They're not Puritan. This was their nature in life. It led them to sin. Here, that sin's removed, but what it is that made them distinct, this contraplot, what defined who they were, is now perfected. <coughs> it's a beauty. It's not something to be condemned. It's not something to be shunted or put down. It's a glory. What's in front of us are all these virtues and the distinctions between them, because those distinctions reflect different people. So everything that, everything that goes on here, if you follow, if you read it closely, will be in terms of pleasure. She wants to come to please them. We are already here to do your pleasure. We want you to have the fullest joy. What did St. Augustine say? Love and do what you will. It gives them pleasure to do it. They want them to have a pleasure doing it. What did Mary do? They have no wine. She wanted them to have the pleasure of that. So did Christ. No sin, no gloom, no, you're an alcoholic. You know, it's, or you're lustful. Here it's a perfection. We, we, because what Dante should, this is so hard in a Protestant world because the Protestant world has made it black-white. What Dante's showing, every sin, remember, every sin comes out of a, a good. We, we want something. There's no inherent sin. We made it a sin by, by a disordered love, wanting it too much or not enough. So what we're seeing here is that goodness restored. Now it's a virtue. It's a source of a joy, a, a, an effulgence, a beauty, a light. And everyone is distinct because it reflects differences in people. Let me stop here. We didn't get far enough along. <laughs> We, we may be, if, I hope you don't, we may be a little bit longer in the period than I planned. There's too much good going on here that I don't want to lose. But it's not just a Protestant black and white. There is heaven and there is hell. You can't get much more black and white than that. Yes. Nobody disagrees with that, Mark. <laughs> Wait one second. Sorry, David. And, uh, I don't know how to turn this thing off. Every week I... Yeah. Sorry, wait, let me... Okay, I don't want to get this on.